But what Jesus has to say is radical. I believe his words are radical, far more radical than we realize. And I think we get kind of in a slumber. We hear these things and we don't think about the implications of what's being said to us. So we're going to look at that tonight. And my prayer is that God's spirit's going to speak right into your hearts and he's going to challenge you and he's going to move you this year outside your comfort zone. Because if you stay where you're at, you will not change. And you go, well, what's wrong with where I'm at? You know what? I believe all of us need to keep growing. All of us need to keep maturing. All of us need to keep developing. How many believe that? And so if you really want to develop, then you have to open your heart to what God wants to speak to you tonight. And we're going to look at it through his word. So let's stand. I'm going to pray. And uh, let's just open our hearts. You know, this morning we had such a great response. I think people were deeply challenged. Uh, they even said they were deeply challenged. So this is, you know, last Sunday, if you were here, it was very affirming, very encouraging, right? So I can preach those kind of sermons, but <clears throat> we need all kinds of sermons to grow. And I think wise people listen to correction. Foolish people don't listen to correction and they keep making the same mistakes. So let's ask God to help us tonight. Father, I know that you are here. We're going to show you that. We're going to see that. We're going to see it tonight in your word. And Lord, I know that you want to speak into our lives. And your word is not just, it's a living word. It's not just with, uh, in mere word, but in power and the demonstration of the Spirit. So I'm praying tonight that as I'm speaking, that you're speaking. And that your Spirit is working in our innermost being. And you're going to speak such a challenging word, a life-giving word, a word that brings about transformation, not only within our own soul, but it's going to affect our entire city. It's going to affect our region. It's going to affect beyond what we could even imagine. It may even affect around the world. Lord, you know, when we drop one stone in the water, there's a ripple effect. And I pray tonight that an amazing ripple effect will begin to occur. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Amen. So I have great confidence tonight. God's going to do something very, very powerful. All right. Last May, Patty and I, it's my wife, we were actually heading to Cornwall, Ontario for our fellowship pastors conference. And so Ontario doesn't have an airport. I mean, Cornwall doesn't have an airport. So you have to either fly into Ottawa or you fly into Montreal. We chose to fly into Montreal for a number of reasons. So we're heading from Edmonton to Montreal. I'm excited about going. Um, We're flying out on Monday morning. My flight time is 1140 in the morning. And how many know on Sundays I'm a little distracted and I forgot to secure our seats. Now, if you know anything about flying, it's really important to secure your seats even before you get to the airport because sometimes they oversell. Does anybody know that? Anybody had that experience? They actually oversell seats. So I wanted to make sure I had a seat on this flight because I needed to be in Montreal that day. So I go, I get up first thing in the morning. I figure, you know, hey, I'll get up early, normal pattern. I'm up at 5.30 in the morning. I go over across the hall. I have an office near my bedroom. I go over to the computer. I'm going to set up to, you know, fire off and, you know, secure the seats. And I recognize they changed my flight. Now, now my flight is not saying 11.40. It's saying 7.10 in the morning. And it's 5.30 a.m. I'm sitting there in my pajamas thinking there's no way in the world I can be on a 710 flight out of Edmonton, right? So I get on the phone, I phone the airlines and I say, hey, listen, I can't make this flight. This is impossible. You know, somebody changed it. Well, they said, we notified you three weeks ago. I said, well, that's nice, but I never got the notification. You know, they said, well, maybe it went to your junk mail. I said, well, I don't read my junk mail. So um, I need to get to Montreal today. So is there another flight? And they said, 
Okay, we'll start looking. So they start hunting, and pretty soon the guy gets back to me, and he says, listen, there's a 10-10 flight to Montreal. Can you make it? I said, no problem. I can make 10-10. It's now it's just an hour earlier, an hour and a half earlier than what I was going to fly. So I thought, this is going to work out. Oh, by the way, it's going to cost you a little bit more. I said, that's fine. What is going to cost me? And so eventually I got window seats. You know, you, you end up paying a little extra. So that's great. I get there. And uh, while we're driving up to Edmonton, because now I don't have time to really, you know, read my Bible, which is a very habitual thing with me. So Patty and I are driving. I says, Patty, why don't you, let's just do our devotions in the car on the way to the airport. Why don't you read and, and uh, we'll pray together and, you know, we'll meditate on these scriptures. So she's reading from Psalm 121. That was our May 1st reading. And in verse 8 it says, and the Lord says, I'm going to be with you in your comings and your going. I said, well, that's good, Lord. I'm glad you're with us because uh, obviously we have a change of plans here today, right? And, you know, I just really felt in my heart, you know, God is changing our plans. You know, who knows why, right? You ever wonder, you know, why does God change things on you? Well, I was about to find out. We get on the airplane. I'm sitting in the aisle seat. Patty's in the middle seat. We got an empty seat on the wind. I'm going, good. I like this. None of you are that greedy, right? I like having a little extra room on the airplane. And so I'm happy there's nobody there. And then I notice there's people still coming on. Eventually, this nice young guy comes up and he looks over at us and he goes, I'm in your row. I said, oh, no problem. So I get up out and Patty gets out and he goes and sits in the window seat. Well, he's a very extroverted, you know, people-oriented person. He's sitting next to my wife, who's a very extra, you know, extroverted people type of person. So they start engaging and talk. And because I have a lot of reading to do, I'm, I, I brought some of my theology books and I'm reading away, trying to get, you know, some reading done on the plane. And, uh, you know, they're, <coughs> excuse me, they're chatting and he explains he's from Munich and, and uh, his name's Felix. And he's studying at the University of Edmonton. He's on his way home back to Munich. And he's doing graduate studies. He's working on his PhD. And they're into this conversation. And he finally asks her, what do you guys do? And she said, well, my husband's a pastor. He says, great. I have all these great, interesting questions about religion, you know. I only know one person of faith, he says. But I got a lot of questions about God. Do you mind if I ask you a few questions? She goes, of course I don't mind you asking. So they start having this conversation, you know. And I'm trying to read my book. And this conversation going on pretty soon they draw me into the conversation and so we end up talking to Felix for four and a half hours we talk about all kinds of stuff we talk about what he's studying cancer study all kinds of interesting stuff and so he's asking all his good questions and eventually of course you know four and a half hour flight you know he says hey I need to use the restroom would you mind I said not a problem so we both get up Patty goes I'm going too so she's gone and then of course the flight attendants come along with their cart right and uh, so they get trapped back in the restroom area, and I'm sitting up. And next thing I notice, there's a note coming between my seat, between my seat and Patty's seat that's now empty. Piece of paper's coming forward, and I look, and I grab the paper, and I open it up, and I got this note, and I'm reading it. And this lady behind me says, I've been, I'm sorry, but I've been overhearing your conversation, and I'm praying for you and your son. She thinks this is my son, right? I'm praying for you and your son. And I'm a pastor's wife. So I get up, turn around, introduce myself. We start having this conversation. And uh, I said, no, he's not my son. He's just, you know, we just met him. And he's, uh, you know, he's a graduate student studying at the U of A. And so we've been chatting here. And she says, well, I'll just keep praying for him. I said, well, that's great. Now, I, want, I say all of this to let you know something. How many think that God is extremely interested in people? As a matter of fact, he even changes people's flights to put them on the plane. So while they're back there chatting, 
he, he's talking to Patty and he says, you know, how, how did, you know, did you, did you grow up in this? And Patty goes, no, I was actually where you were at. I had all kinds of questions. I doubted God. He said, well, how'd you become a person of faith? She said, well, I'll tell you. And then she began to share her conversion story with him. And which was really great. So she's sharing that. And she said, then, oh, by the way, God does direct our steps. As a matter of fact, we weren't supposed to be on this flight this morning. He goes, yeah, that's interesting. I kind of noticed that. When I looked this morning, these were two empty seats beside me. He probably thought he was getting extra space, right? But all of a sudden, we show up, you know, and this whole conversation emerges with Felix, which is great. I find out he's coming back to Edmonton in the fall with his girlfriend. They're going to continue their studies for a few months. I said, hey, listen, if you're going to be in Edmonton, why don't you come and have Thanksgiving with us? You know, I'm trying to be hospitable. I'm a Canadian, right? I want to be polite to people. They're from Germany. I figure he doesn't know too many people. So why don't you come to our home? He said, well, that would be awesome. And so he came to, for Thanksgiving at our home, and we did it on a Monday. But I said to him, why don't you come early? And, you know, because you've never been exposed to a Christian community of faith, why don't you come and you'll see what it's like to be a part of a, a contemporary Christian church. He said, oh, I'd love to do that. So he and Kim came and spent the night, and, and they came to church that Sunday, and they said, you know, it was really amazing. We went to church, and the people there were happy. You know, you guys did a good job, by the way. You know, they, were, they said, you, these people look like they're enjoying themselves. It was really amazing. And he really sensed something was happening in our midst. He, you know, he felt, you know, he thought I was just an extremely good motivational speaker. I said, no, I think that was God trying to talk to you, Felix. Oh, I don't know about that, you know, because he says he's an atheist. Well, we eventually acknowledge he's an agnostic. He just doesn't know. So we had such a nice visit with them. My daughters came over. They spent Thanksgiving, my grandkids. You know, they just felt part of the family. So before they went back to Munich, in December, they came one more Sunday and one more time at our home on a weekend. And, uh, and, they, and they wrote such beautiful letters to us. We had a little Christmas with them. We gave them some gifts. They gave us some gifts. We had a beautiful time together. And of course, you know, we're still in contact through email. You know, why would God go through all of that trouble? I mean, here they are all the way from Germany and God brings them to relate to Christians in Canada. That's because God cares for people. And we need to know that God is amazing. He will direct our steps. He's concerned about other people. Now, what I want to do tonight is just talk about how God directs our steps into the lives of other people. You see, it's not just about our lives. You, see, it, you know, God is not just interested in us, though he is. But he's interested in us and beyond us. And I said that. God wants to do a great work in you so that God can do a great work through you. God wants to bless your lives in order for you and I to become a blessing to other people. And that's all part of maturity, by the way. We don't just live for ourselves. We live beyond ourselves. You know, and I, th- I find a lot of people are living in a box. It's all about their own lives. And those are the unhappy people. It's the people that eventually move beyond themselves to begin to discover a real joy in serving other people. There's there's an adventure awaiting us as Christians. And I think God wants us to move beyond our own world of personal crisis and interests into the world that's way beyond our lives into the lives of other people. So we're going to look at that tonight. In Acts chapter 9, in verse 32, we're going to pick up this beautiful story of Peter's life and how God used him to open some doors. Now, how many here, you have keys on you? You have actually a set of keys. You may have a set of keys. Why do we have keys? Well, what do keys do? 
they open doors, right? And if you don't have a key, you're probably not getting in your car tonight, right? If you don't have a key, you're probably not getting into your house. Keys actually speak of access. How many believe that's what it's about? How many have ever forgotten your keys and you were locked out of your house or locked out of your vehicle? That's drag, isn't it? So you actually know that keys are kind of important. So tonight I want to look at two keys that actually are going to unlock the doors in people's lives. And I believe these are exciting. Peter actually had the key on the day of Pentecost to bring the good news to his fellow countrymen. And that's, that day, 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ. Isn't that a beautiful thing? The gospel exploded on the scene in Jerusalem. But tonight we're going to look at the second set of keys he had that opened the door to the non-Jewish world. And I'm so glad Peter had to go past a lot of personal fears and prejudices to use the second key. If he had not used that key, none of us would be here tonight because the gospel would have been limited to a small segment of human society. But Peter, in obedience to God, used the key and eventually the church exploded beyond the Jewish community. So just as the early church had a responsibility to bring the good news about Jesus and the forgiveness of sins to others, we also have a moral responsibility to reach out past ourselves to those around us. And so, you know, the question is, how do we begin this process? You know, God is calling us to make disciples. We're going to see that in a minute. But right where you're at, God wants you to begin. You know, we don't have to go around the world, you know, to bring the good news to people, though some of us will do that. But that's not where God wants us to start. God wants us to start right here. And if we can't do it around people that are similar to us, we're going to have a very difficult time bringing this message to people who are unlike us. Because, you know, when you have to translate, you know, ideas into another culture, that's a challenging thing. How many know culture is a barrier? Does anybody know that? People from different cultures think differently. How many realize that? And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's a reality. You know, we have a certain mindset. We're looking at life through a set of lenses. And we have, all of us have a cultural lens. We all have a background. We all grew up in a family. We all grew up in a culture. And we begin to see life through that lens. And so we need to, it's hard to us, for us many times to understand people from different cultures because we don't make the effort to understand. Because they're coming from a different set of values sometimes. Now, We talked about Peter uh, opening up the second set of doors to the Gentiles. So my question is, who is God going to use in our lives? Who who, who are we going to unlock the door for so that they can come into God's kingdom? How many believe that was important Peter opened the door and let many people in the kingdom of God? See, God wants to use you and I to open the door, to unlock the door for other people's lives. And we're going to take a look at how that can happen. And the first thing we need to do to unlock doors is that we have to be willing to go. We have to, there has to be a willingness on our part to be a part of this exciting adventure. If we're not willing to do this, we're never going to be a part of this. And I think we lose out on something you know, so important in our lives because then we just live a very narrowly focused life. And it becomes very small. And I, and I look at it this way. A lot of people, I call it living in a box. They're just in their own little headspace. They're in their own little world. And it's just the people they know. It's all about them. And it's all about their issues. But you know, if we're going to really, to get past our own issues and problems, you have to get outside the box. That is so critical. And that makes you a totally different kind of person. 
the average person does not think beyond themselves. Believe me, I, I work with people. I see it all the time. You know, but when you're around somebody, like my wife, she's an out-of-the-box person. She's always thinking about other people. It's really nice to be around a person like that, always thinking about others. You know, they just see beyond the box. That's a beautiful thing, you know. And you, you end up in great adventures because of it. God wants us to move beyond where we're at today. And we're going to see that in the life of Peter. Actually, one of the reasons we don't want to go is because it's not comfortable. It's the unknown. How many know we're always fearful of the unknown? You know, unless you're very adventurous. You're usually fearful of the unknown. You're, you don't want to get outside of your comfort zone. But let's take a look at Acts chapter 9 and verse 32. It says here, as Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. And there he found a man named Ananias who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Ananias, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, roll up your mat. And immediately Ananias got up. Now, I got to ask the question, how did Peter know to do this? The right answer is he hung with Jesus. How many know that if you're hanging with Jesus, you start seeing things you normally don't see? He actually hung out and saw Jesus pull this very thing, a paralyzed guy. You know, Jesus says, take up your mat and walk. And the guy rolled up his mat and walked out. So Peter knew that Jesus could do it, right? And Jesus had told the disciples that when I leave, you're going to do the same things and yet even greater things because there's more of you and I'll be gone. You're going to continue to do what I started. Peter knew that. So what does he do? He does it exactly the way Jesus said. He said, well, in the name of Jesus, basically, take up your mat and walk. And that's exactly what happened. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. How many know if you start seeing miracles, things start happening? Now, think about the early church. When they were under persecution, what did they pray? You know, did they say, oh, Lord, deliver us from all the insults and reviling and the persecution that's coming our way? Or did they actually say, Lord, give us holy boldness and may more miracles happen? Actually, chapter, Acts chapter 4, that's how they prayed. They said, Lord, keep doing the miracles and keep this up. This is awesome. You know, how many know that if we had a dramatic miracle here in this church, you know, somebody who was paralyzed, they rolled him in here, we prayed, and this person walked out. How many know it wouldn't take long where a bunch of paralyzed people start showing up to our church and going, hey, if you can do it for that person, could you do it for me? How many think that probably would happen? Anybody see that? You start seeing miracles, people start showing up. I just the nature of people. Now watch what happens. Lida and, and this little town of Joppa are actually bedroom communities. It's like the difference between North and South Red. This is not a very far distance. So word gets out of this amazing miracle, and it says in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name was Dorcas, and she was about doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and she died. And her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lida was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lida, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room, and all the widows stood around crying and showing him all the robes and other clothes that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room and he got down on his knees and prayed. Now, I've got to stop here and ask the question. How did Peter know to get rid of everybody and to pray for this woman? How would he even dare to consider praying for a dead person? Well, Jesus did it. Thank you. And actually, when we read the story in the Gospels, Jesus, remember, was asked by a father whose daughter was 12 years old and she had died. And what did Jesus do? He sent everybody out of the room except for Peter, James, and John and the parents. Jesus went in and he spoke to the little girl who was dead and said, 
little girl wake up and she woke up and she came back to life. Now, how many know that kind of creates a stir in town when you have dead people coming back to life, you know? So where does Peter get this idea from? He'd been with Jesus. How many get the picture that if you're hanging with Jesus, some, you're going to learn some things. You're going to pick up on some stuff. You're going to see some things. Peter now sends everybody out of the room. He gets down on his knees and he prays. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known over all of Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. How many think that's probably what would happen? Can you imagine now, just with me for a moment, we're sitting here, we have a funeral service. Oh, by the way, we do have one on Friday. How many know Victor Manderville? Anybody know him? Okay, Victor passed away here last Sunday, 39 years old, so his funeral is Friday at 11. Okay, could you imagine? It's a memorial service, so this is not going to happen this Friday, but could you imagine? Here we have a funeral service. The casket is here, the body's here, and then all of a sudden the person in the casket sits up. How many think that might create a little bit of a stir in the auditorium? Anybody think that might, might cause a little excitement? How many might get a little excited if somebody that you know was dead for a few days all of a sudden sits up and then gets out of the casket? How many think that might get your attention? Anybody might wake up? How many think that that wouldn't take very long? Well, that news would get out pretty fast. Wouldn't you think? How many think that might get get around really quickly? I have a feeling the national news would be here. What do you think? You know? How many are getting a picture? I mean, this is really causing a stir. And no wonder people are now turning to God. You see, so it says to me, number one, we need to start praying. We need to start saying, Lord, as you did it in of old... You can still do these things today. You can do amazing things, and it's going to get people's attention. I think, you know, one of the problems is we're so locked into a certain way of looking at life that we only, we only receive what we believe for. But, you know, think about it. Here, all of a sudden, these miracles start happening. These are a little dramatic, don't you think? Guy's been paralyzed for eight years. All of a sudden, he walks. Person who is dead all of a sudden comes to life. How many think that probably gets people's attention? Well, I think it does. It says it did. I believe it does. You know, and if it happened today, it would certainly get people's attention. That would really mess with some people's heads in red deer, wouldn't it? I would love that to happen. That would really mess with a bunch of people, you know. I think some people would start showing up to come to church and going, what in the world's going on? You know, if people are starting to walk again, dead people are coming to life, that would get people's attention. Now, so the first thing we need to realize is that, you know, that while we're doing uh, God's will... Things happen. That's point number, a little minor point, but that's the truth. If we're walking with God and doing what he's asking us to do, God's going to start showing up and doing stuff. You don't even have to, you know, think about it. Do you think uh, Peter decided, oh, I got an itinerary. I've made a decision. I'm going to go to these communities. I'm going to start, you know, having paralyzed people come back, you know, to walk. And then people who are dead come back to life. Do you think, Peter, that was on his agenda? How many think that that just kind of happened? I think it just kind of happened. You know, but whenever we're confronted with crisis, <clears throat> we're like Peter. We have the same access to God that Peter has. How many know that's true? Yes. We serve the same Jesus, folks. Do we not? Yes. How many here believe you serve the same Jesus as Peter serves? See, I do too. How many believe you have the same access to Jesus as Peter had? I believe that. That you and I can cry out in our crisis and watch God do some amazing things. And I'm not trying to make light of things. I'm just trying to say, listen, 
You know, we got to start thinking a little differently. I think we have a problem in the, how we think. The gospel is far more radical than we realize, but we're, we have dummied it down to a state of almost unbelief. Because we, we just don't believe these things are going to happen. That's why they never do. You have to start saying, you know what, God, you're capable of doing things in crisis and answering prayer in a wonderful way. And as I said, this wasn't a premeditated action, but a spontaneous response to a need that came across Peter's path, a need that God saw fit to bring across Peter's path. You know, a lot of times we have crisis in our life, and what's the first thing we do? We start moaning about it. Come on now. How many say that's true, Pastor? I hate it. I don't like it. I don't like to have you know, things thrown off. I don't like my flights canceled right? That's annoying. God goes, hey, I don't really care about how you feel about it. I have a plan. You know, you need to be open to what I'm doing. And so when things start to shift on you and all of a sudden things are happening around you that you go, hey, I don't get what's going on here. Maybe God's working and you and I need to say, hey, Lord, what are we up to? You know, we got to start thinking differently. Maybe God, you want to do something and I want to be open to what you are about to do. Notice, We read here, who's responsible in going and making disciples? Well, Matthew 28, 18 says, therefore, 19 says, go and make disciples of all nations. Who is he talking to? Well, you could say he's talking to the early disciples, right? You could say, well, that certainly applies to them. How many go, it certainly applies to them? Yeah, he was speaking right to them. But now I want to point out to to you something. In verse 20, look at the very end. He says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So he's not only talking to them. He's talking to everybody coming up to the end of the age. So he's basically saying, I want every generation of believers to go and make disciples and I will be with you. Then the thing I notice, this is not only a command that we're to go to all the nations, which by the way, in the Greek language is ethnos, which is where we get the word ethnicity from. So we're to go and transcend culture. We're to go to people beyond ourselves, outside of ourselves, okay? And then it's says, Jesus says, and when you go, I'm going to go with you. How many say that's pretty good? You see, I just tell God, look, I have no problem going as long as you're going with me. If you don't show up, we're hooped, you know? And so now you got to start thinking this way. Here's what I say. You know, I'm going to pray. I have no power to heal anybody, but I'm going to ask Jesus to heal people. And I keep reminding the Lord, hey, if you don't do it, hey, you're going to look bad. I'm not just looking bad. You're looking bad too. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm telling people you can do this. And if you don't do this, this is not looking good for you. How many see what I'm saying? So who's on the spot here? See, it's not my job to heal people. It's just my job to pray for people. It's not my job to save people. That's God's job. My job is to tell people. It's up to God what he wants to do. It's up to the people how they're going to respond. Isn't that true? So you and I got to move away from taking on responsibilities that are not ours. Our responsibility is to go. Our responsibility is to speak. Our responsibility is to pray. It's God's responsibility to answer prayer. It's God's responsibility to heal. It's God's responsibility to save. That takes a lot of pressure off. Yeah, I just think just do your part and let God do his part, right? But you know what's happening today? We don't even do our part. So how in the world can God do his part? He doesn't even have a partner. He's looking for people to partner with. He's looking to minister to us so that we can become his ministers. Oh, I like this. You know what, was, what struck me as I was reflecting on this message yesterday? 
was the challenge of actually engaging with our culture. You know, think about this. Do you know how radical Jesus' words are? Let me give them to you. Here's the Beatitudes. I was reading them yesterday. Blessed are you when people insult you. That word blessed means happy. Happy are people when you, happy are you when you're getting insulted. How many here say, you know, I always feel good when people insult me? How many, how many say, that's, I always feel happy when I'm being insulted? How many here can honestly say that's how you feel? See, none of us do. Do you see how radical Jesus' words are? We don't think like this. I, we always feel, I, I feel a little hurt by this, right? Somebody's insulting me. He says, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Don't you just rejoice when people are, you know, running your name through the mud falsely and they're saying all kinds of negative things about you. Don't you just feel happy about that stuff? How many here say, I just get deliriously happy? See, already we're not thinking like Jesus, because what he's saying is when, when this is happening because you're my child and it's because of who I am and because you represent me and they're cheating you like this, you should be happy about this. This is how they've always treated the righteous people from of old. This is how they treated the prophets. And if you want to know that Jesus is really radical, listen to what he says. You're the salt of the earth. Now, how many know what salt does? Salt cleanses, flavors, and preserves. Isn't that true? How many have ever put salt on an open wound? Ouch. Does that hurt or what? So how many know that when you and I are salt and we come to a person who's wounded, what do you think is going to happen? They're going to feel pain. You know? And so, you know, sometimes we walk around going, you know, you know, so, you know sometimes to heal people, you have to hurt them. How many know that's true? You know, if you're a doctor and somebody's got a problem in their body and they go, I got to cut that out or it's going to kill you. How many know they're hurting you to help you? Do you realize that God can emotionally hurt people in order to help them spiritually? As a matter of fact, I'm studying Proverbs right now. It says the wise embrace rebuke and correction. God says he's going to discipline everybody that's his children. And discipline is not pleasant, folks. Isn't that true? But it says the foolish person doesn't want to receive correction. How many of you notice most of the people who are morally deficient never want to be corrected? We have a culture today that never wants to be corrected. Everybody's right. We're all okay. Are we really all okay? Is this a really okay culture? Do you know what we're really doing in our culture today? Let me tell you. We're legalizing that which is evil because we don't know how to handle it. We think if we legalize it, then we're going to have an answer to our problems. All we're doing is making things worse. That's not the answer. You know, some of us in our city, we look at what's going on. We see the moral deterioration. We see our city council hiring 10 new police officers. Do we think that hiring 10 new police officers is going to help our community? You're right, it's not. It's just going to have, we're going to have just more people chasing more criminals, that's all. And there's going to be more and more criminals. So now the question I ask is, so what's the answer? The answer is I'm looking at it. See, if you and I as believers are going out and making disciples and we are the salt of the earth, we're going to preserve our community for moral deterioration. And so if the community is morally deteriorating, we have to ask ourselves, how salty are we? As a matter of fact, Jesus said, if the salt loses its saltiness, 
you know, how can it be made salty again? See, they were actually extracting salt from the Dead Sea, but it's a different kind of salt. There's actually salt properties in it, but if you keep losing and diminishing the salt properties, eventually all you have is the grains of sand, and there's no value to it. He said it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. It just becomes dirt. You and I have to ask ourselves the question, how salty are we? Are we having an impact in the people's lives around us? Are we influencing people? You know, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You can see its glow. As a matter of fact, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. How many know when you don't have, you know, electricity? See, this is in the day when they didn't have it. And it's dark, you light a little lamp. There's a little oil lamp. I've got some of those from Israel. You light them. And they give you light. But how many go, oh, I just lit my lamp, but oh, I'm going to put a bowl over it. How many go, what value does that light have if you're hiding the light? You know, and how many Christians today are actually hiding their light? Yeah, there's, there's, really, no, there's really no light coming from us, right? And so people are in darkness, you say, well, how do you know that, Pastor? Well, listen, it goes on in the same way. Let your light shine before man that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, that suggests a thought to me. You say, well, Pastor, I'm the kind of Christian. I just do good things, you know, and I don't tell anybody. I just show it by my life. And I ask the question, then, who gets the credit for it? You do. See, in this verse, it says, and they will praise your Father in heaven. So whoever this person doing the good deeds are, they're actually pointing out the reason why they're doing the good deeds and what's causing them to do the good deeds. Because now God is getting attributed the credit. So here's a person that says, you know, well, why are you doing this for me? Well, you must really like me. No, not necessarily. You know. You're annoying sometimes, but I'm going to do it anyways. Well, why are you going to do it then if I'm annoying? Because God loves you. See, we need to start, a, we need to start giving God more credit. Right? Come on now. How many here you can honestly look at your life now and, you, and I ask the question, how salty are you? You're going, huh, I don't know. Here's the, here's the answer. How many people are you influencing? You know, how, where's your light? Where's it shining? Well, I've got it under a bowl, Pastor. I don't want people to know I'm a Christian. You know, I don't tell people I'm a Christian. I don't want to have people insult me and, you know, ridicule me. Hey, when I was a brand new Christian, I got ridiculed all the time. That was normal. But you know what? Did I care? No. You know why? Because people were getting saved around me. You see, when you and I are excited about our faith, who cares what people think? I think we're more concerned about what people think than what God thinks. We have more of a fear of man than we do a fear of God. We're more concerned about what people think than what God thinks. What's wrong with this picture? Something's not healthy about it. So what's Jesus saying to us? Be what we were designed by God to be. You're designed to be salt and light. We are designed by God to be, bring blessing to other people. Well, let me move on. I've only got two points. Here's your second key. To unlock the doors in other people's lives. We have to break from our preconceptions. And I'm going to tell you tonight, we have them. And I know we have them. I have them. You have them. You say, how do you know? We have barriers in our life because, you know, people tell us things about ourselves. And sometimes we listen to those messages. And we don't even realize that our biases and prejudices are keeping us from effectively ministering to other people. Now, look what happens in Peter's life in chapter 10. Two stories, two visions. 
Peter's hungry, sitting on a rooftop at the Tanner's house in Joppa. And he's thinking about food. He's supposed to be praying, but he's thinking about food. How many have ever had that experience? During fasting and praying, what are you thinking about? Food. So Peter's thinking about food. He's hungry, right? He sees the sheet come from heaven, and he hears a voice saying, kill and eat. Peter's looking at these animals, and they're all animals classified as non-kosher, unclean animals. Peter goes, I've never eaten an unclean animal. What are you talking about? And then the voice says, what I say is clean is clean. This happens three times. While Peter's pondering this, There's three guys show up at the door. See, the day before, their commander, their centurion, his name is Cornelius, is having a vision. He's praying to God. He's not even a believer. He's he's a God-fearer, but he doesn't know the way of God correctly. He thinks that, you know, you have to do things in order to be in a right relationship with God. So he's giving to the poor. He's doing all these wonderful things, but he doesn't know the gospel. Isn't it amazing? An angel comes to him and says, send for a man by the name of Peter, and he will tell you what you must do. You see, you haven't got the way perfectly. Now, I, th- I find this so fascinating. An angel shows up and cannot tell Cornelius the good news about Jesus. How many think that's amazing? That God will not allow his angels from heaven to share the gospel. He's waiting for people that have been redeemed by his grace. The only people that can share the gospel are people who have experienced the gospel. What a privilege. You're the only ones, you and me, we're the only ones who can tell others about Jesus. God will not allow his angels to tell people. Is that, is that mind-blowing? It is mind-blowing. What a privilege you and I have to bring this good news to other people. You know why? Because we've experienced it. Angels have never experienced it. They don't know anything. They, they, they marvel at it. They, don't, they can't quite get it. You and I get it. We understand it. We've experienced it. You know what I noticed? Peter seems more concerned about people and their need than what others are thinking of him. But he's a little nervous too because we see that, you know, the Spirit of God says to them, don't question anything, just go with these men. Well, he knows they're Gentiles. He knows that's not a kosher thing to do. So what does he do? He drags six other Jewish believers with him over to Caesarea. When he gets there, it's finally dawning on him what the vision is all about. He said, you know, I was praying and I realized that God is not a respecter person. He accepts all people. There are no unclean people. If God says they're clean, they're clean. While Peter is talking about Jesus, the Spirit of God comes on these Gentiles and they experience the same thing that Peter and the disciples did in the upper room. All of a sudden, they're filled with the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. Peter goes, what in the world's going on? God is accepting Gentiles. And he said, what could I do? We baptize them. If God accepts them, who might have reject them. Isn't that amazing? God broke through Peter's prejudices and his fears. Amazing what God did. How many would kind of like to work with God? You know, how many like to be cooperating with God? Isn't this amazing? So I've already said this thing about the angel. He's not allowed the privilege of communicating the good news. God chooses to need us. Now, how do you and I see people? How many here can say, I see people as being receptive to the gospel in Red Deer? How many here you say, I just see people as being very open and receptive to the gospel in Red Deer? Raise your hand. You see people that way. How many? Hi, raise your hand. Hi. Anybody see people that way? Okay. How many see people as being not that receptive to the gospel? You know, I'm afraid they're going to reject what I say. I expect there's going to be some backlash to this. That's your response. Okay. I'm going to tell you what Jesus sees. You're going to love this. 
This is what I got yesterday. You know, isn't the Holy Spirit faithful? This is what Jesus says. Jesus said, just before this verse, he says, he saw the people as helpless and harassed without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. So how does Jesus see people? He sees people in our city. This is going to shock you. He sees them as being helpless, harassed, and leaderless. He sees them as broken and self-medicating. That's how he sees this culture. This is a very highly self-medicating culture. You go, what do you mean? We've got people abusing alcohol. We've got people abusing drugs. And then sometimes we legitimatize it by going to the doctor and we just get more prescription. We are the most medicated, sedated culture in the world. And we're not happy. This is not a happy culture. We're just drugged. This is a drug culture. That's the reality. Very few people can actually live life without taking any drugs. I don't take any drugs. I don't drink alcohol. I don't take any drugs. I don't have any prescriptions in my body. This is kind of nice. And I don't live with anxiety because when anxiety attacks me, I just go, you know what? I'm just going to focus on the Lord because I know the scriptures that says, He will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me. I just focus on God. All that anxiety lifts and I'm in peace. That's healthy. That's healthy living. Most people do not live like this. I am an exception. I already know that. I would say a lot of Christians don't even live like this. I think a lot of Christians are living with all kinds of hang-ups and issues. They're living in defeat. They're living, you know, uh, uptight about all kinds of problems. Let's be honest. We're not fooling around here tonight. I'm being forthright with you. But what does Jesus see? He just sees a bunch of broken people. He sees a bunch of people who are under, unsurrendered. They have no sense of leadership. They're doing their own thing. They're in absolute rebellion against God. They're not surrendered to God's will. And they don't see life the way God sees it. And they don't see people the way God sees them. We look at people and say, oh, that person's a mess. God looks at them and he says, they're helpless and harassed. And so what does he tell us to do as disciples? He says, here's the answer to the moral dilemma in our community. He says, you know what the problem is? People are open and receptive. And they're ready to be reached. He says, I want you to pray. But the problem is, it's not that the people aren't ready and unresponsive. The problem is nobody's willing to go. That's how Jesus evaluates this. You don't think so? Let me read the next verse. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus sees people differently. If you and I go to people, listen, listen to what I'm going to say to you, and you go with a deep love and concern to people and you start paying attention and you start caring for them and you start loving them, you start listening to them and you start praying for them, they're going to begin to respond to you. See, you don't have to go around you know, saying you're, you're a sinner and you need to get right with God. You don't even need to say that. People already know they're messed up. People need to know somebody cares about them. Number one thing. How many here in this room, you just want to be loved unconditionally? Raise your hand. How many here can honestly say that? Raise your hand. You want to be loved unconditionally? Of course, we all do. Don't we? That's the way God loves people. But you know what? Most people don't know that. Most people don't know God loves them just for who they are. And he loves them so much, he wants to deliver them from their brokenness and their helplessness and their harassment. He wants to set them free. And who's willing to go and help them do that? There's just not a willingness on our part to do that. We're just too busy in our own little worlds. Pastor, I got, I'm so busy. And then I always say, what are you busy doing? Well, I've got all these things on the go. But do we need to do all the things we're doing or just we have misplaced priorities? Or is it just about my little world? What about the world beyond me? What about the world around me? What about the world that's broken around me? 
What is God asking me to do? Well, you know what? Cornelius was not a guy that Peter probably thought was interested in the things of God. He's a Gentile. My goodness, he's a soldier. And yet here was a hungry heart crying out to God, wanting to know God. Did anybody know that? No, Peter didn't know that. But you know what? When we're open to God, God can send us to hungry hearts. God knows who they are, you know? There's only two types of people in the world. There's people that are wanting to know God, and there's people who are resisting God. There's only two types. And there's a lot more people in the city of Red Deer and surrounding regions that want to know God than you and I understand. And you say, how do you know this? Because they're crying out. Many people are saying, God, please help me. My life's a mess. Would you please help me? You don't think people are crying out in desperation today with all of their issues and problems saying, someone please help me? And God is not hearing this cry rising up from the community. And people are saying, I need help in my marriage. I need help in my job. I need help with my kids. I hear this all the time. People are going, my kids are a mess. I need help with my kids. My husband's a mess. My wife's a mess. Who's a, everyone's a mess. You know, what am I supposed to do? I can't handle the pressure anymore. I can't cope with my anxieties. I got all these fears in my life. But you know, the answer is not what our society thinks it is. You know what our society says? Everybody's okay. You know, you're dealing with mental illness. We're all okay. Don't judge anybody. Hey, you know something? God wants us to be healthy mentally. No amens to that. See, we're so bought into the culture that says everybody's okay just the way they are. We just medicate them. Come on now. That is the truth. And the church sits back here and we just go, they're all bad people. No, they're not. They're helpless and harassed in need of a shepherd. That's how Jesus sees the people. Let me just close with six things that I, I, I learned from this experience. What can we learn from Peter's experience regarding God's will as we reach out to others? That God wants to break any barrier or hostilities that we have with others. How many believe that? You know, think about this. We have a ministry of reconciliation. We can't even get along with each other. No amens to that? I'm a pastor. How many marriage difficulties do we have? Come on now. We don't, have, we have, we don't know how to forgive. We don't know how to communicate. We, you know, what's, what's going on in our lives? Am I trying to be like Jesus? If both sides are trying to be like Jesus, shouldn't this work? Are we praying together? You know, when I talk to the average Christian, you know what I find out? Most of them don't even read the Bible. They have no daily devotional life, and they think just like the culture. Listen, you want to be different? Get into the Word of God. Start thinking like God thinks. It changes you. The gospel is a message of reconciliation, first with God and then with other people. Secondly, it's not enough to understand the truth, but for truth to be effective in our lives, it must be applied or it must be obeyed. How many say that's true? It works, guys. We just have to do it. If you don't do it, it doesn't work. If you do it, it works. It's real simple. Are we going to do it? Are we going to obey? Are we going to do what God's asking us to do? Number three, if we endeavor to do God's reveal will as found in his word, God will direct our steps into adventures beyond our abilities. You go, well, that was Peter. He was with Jesus. Oh, pastor, you're trained to do this. Do you know that most of what I get into is way beyond my ability? I have to trust God. How many know it's all about trusting God? If you listen to every one of my sermons, it almost distills down to one idea, trust God. That's what it's all about. It's not about I'm fully competent. It's about I'm fully dependent. How many know there's a big difference? My confidence is not in myself. My confidence is in Christ. You know what? I'm looking to him. And I always say to him, hey, if you don't show up, we're in trouble, God. I'm just letting you know I'm hanging out here by myself. You know, isn't that true? 
It is. Number four, there are people like Cornelius in our personal worlds that are waiting for us to come to them. They've already been prepared by God. And God says, who can I send? There are people here saying, Lord, hear my send me. There are people in this community that want to know God. They just don't know how to get to him. They just don't understand. They need someone like you to go to them. How's that? Number five, that when the Lord gives a vision, he intends to fulfill that vision and make us a part of it. God is not going to exclude you from the, from the program, guys. If you and I don't do it, it doesn't get done. How's that? It's just that simple. What happens if Peter hadn't gone and says, I'm sorry. I'll just hang at the house here. I'm just going to have something to eat. I'm not going with these guys. They're just Gentiles. What are you talking about? What am I supposed to do? I don't even know these guys. You know, what am I supposed to say to them? You know, how many know God already knew what he was going to do? Peter just had to obey. Number six, we can be confident that in the decisive moments of life, God will direct our steps through circumstances and other people. Many times this direction comes from people who are seeking our help. Isn't that amazing? You go, I just thought they were annoying pastor. No, God's bringing them to you. God brings people with need into your life so you can minister to them. You see, we have to be open to that. Yeah, well, this is not a convenient time. I'm tired. You know, Jesus is at the well. Remember, it was the middle of the day. He's thirsty. Here's a lady sitting there by herself. The Bible says Jesus was hungry and thirsty. He could have just said, well, I have a need greater than ministering to her needs. My goodness, I'm exhausted. All I do is minister, Father. Every day people are bugging me. They're all asking something from me, right? No, he focuses in. He says, hey, would you give me a drink of water? She gets up, gives him some water. You know, they have this whole conversation. By the time she's done, she's running off to tell everybody else in town, I've just met someone that knows everything about me. He has to be the Messiah. Isn't that an amazing story? It started out, Jesus was hungry and thirsty and tired. So if you're waiting to do ministry, when you have all of your act together, if you're waiting to be perfect before you do it, I guarantee you, you will never do it. Because there's not one person in this room that's perfect, including the pastor. God works in spite of us, not because of us. You know, certainly we can get better at what we're doing. Certainly we can learn things. Certainly we can gain experience. But that's not the point. The point is we got to trust Almighty God. You know, faith is not always the seemingly secure path in life. But then our security is not in a direction, it's not in a job, it's not in possessions, it's in a person. All that you have could be taken from you in a moment. Your health could be taken, your family could be taken, your resources could be taken. But one thing people can't take, and that's Christ. Your security is not what life is offering. Your security is in a person. You know, do you know you and I are invincible until Jesus decides to call us home? We are. God's got a job for us to do. I'm not leaving planet Earth until I'm done everything God wants me to do. How's that? Isn't that good? So let's be about the Father's business. Let's make a nuisance to the kingdom of darkness. Let's get on God's page. Let's start seeing people the way God sees them. Hey, why don't we start ministering to people? What a novel thought. Do you know the problem in Red Deer could change? They, you know, they don't even need to hire 10 more police officers. If the church would rise up and be the church in this community, I believe that the city would begin to become transformed. Isn't that amazing? So who has the keys to the city of Red Deer? 
We do. Amen. Isn't that amazing? Well, let me close with a story. I love the story. You know, in November of 2005, Ivy Smith was 101 years old, and she finally got baptized and received communion. You know what's amazing? She grew up in a home, a Methodist home. She grew up attending church, but she had never, you know, had gone forward to be baptized and therefore never received communion. That's amazing to me. You know what she said? Some, finally, one day they said, Ivy, why don't you ever take communion? She goes, I haven't been baptized. Why don't you get baptized? I don't know. Never been asked. Now she's over 100 years old. She's probably the oldest living person that ever got baptized. She was so excited. Do you know how powerful it is to talk to people, to invite people, to ask people? You know what made the difference in her life? Someone invited her to join in. Someone asked her. You know, the greatest need people have is to be asked. We have to invite people, right? You know, when I, te- when I talk to our Sunday school teachers or our adult education teachers, you know what they're waiting? Let's promote our class. I go, no, go invite people. Go invite people. That's how you build the class. You know, if you're a leader in our church, you know what I say? Don't come up here and say we have a need for this. You can always usually get the wrong people. Why don't you go and pick the right people? Jesus picked his disciples. Did you know that? Yeah. Yeah, isn't that interesting? People want to be invited. You know, I find that when people are invited, they feel like, wow, I got invited? I'd never thought about it. Isn't that true? You know how, you know how I, I, I grew my Christian life? People invited me to do things. I remember one day an elder said to me, Paul, are you tithing? I said, no. He said, well, I want to tell you about tithing, how important it is. I said, oh, okay, I'll do it. I was a brand new Christian. You didn't have to tell me three times. I was young. I was excited. Sure, I'll do it. You know, I was 21 years old. I've been tithing for the last, well, 42 years. And you know what I can honestly say? God has always provided. See, God's faithful. You know what? Somebody said, hey, Paul, you know, why don't you get baptized? Why not? Let's do it. Got baptized. Somebody said, hey, Paul, why don't you join the choir? I said, okay, I can sing. Join the choir. You know, I was invited. Why don't you join the church, Paul? Do I need to do that? Yeah, that'd be great. You can be a part of our church. I said, great. How do you go about doing that? And I joined the church. You know what? I was invited. How many are getting the idea that most of the time we don't do things because no one invites us? Is this this making sense to you? So start inviting. Invite. 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 What's the worst people can say? I'm not interested. Okay. Okay. They may not be interested today, but three years from now when they're going through a crisis, they may come to you and say, hey, you know that invitation you offered me three years ago? I'm interested today. See, you and I make an assumption just because they're not interested now, they'll never be interested. And that's not true. That's just where they're at at the moment. I just keep inviting. They can keep saying no. Eventually, they're going to say yes. I believe that. You say, you're just an optimist, Pastor. I'm going, no, I trust God. I believe in God, and I believe that people want to deep down inside do what's right. They want to do what's right. They don't always want to be broken. They don't always want to be helpless. They don't always want to be harassed. They want to be healthy. Okay, let's stand. I want to pray tonight. How many go, you know, Pastor, you're messing with my head tonight. I told you Jesus' message is radical. How many say this is pretty radical stuff? Anybody see this kind of radical you don't think wanting to be insulted is a radical thought? You know, I think that's radical. You know, 
When we look at people today, do you see them the way Jesus does? Do you see them as broken, helpless, harassed without a shepherd? That's how Jesus sees them. You know? Are you willing to say, Lord, I believe that there's hungry hearts out there like Cornelius crying out for God. You know what? I believe there are Corneliuses out there. I believe there are Lydia's out there. I believe there's people desperate and they're crying out. They're just waiting for someone to come to them. We need to go. See, we go, well, if they come to me. No, it says go. I need to go where they're at. I need to reach out to them. I need to listen to them. I need to go to them. The Bible says, pray the Lord of the harvest for what? Workers. Do you know what will happen if you start praying that prayer? God will say, okay, you go. That's what he'll say, you go. Okay, Lord. And he says, I'm going to give you a promise. When I send you, I'll go with you. And it won't all depend on you. You see, that's what we're freaked out about. I don't know what to say. God says, I'll help you. You know, sometimes saying less is more. Sometimes just listening, just caring. You know, I say to people, hey, can I pray with you? 90% of the people I've said this to, yeah, would you please? When they know you care, they're going to respond. That's true about people. And you know, they don't all become Christians, but you know what I notice when I'm praying for them? Tears come in their eyes. Someone's loving them. Someone's caring about them. Someone's bringing them to God. You know, I was on a vacation in Yellowstone. This is really interesting. I'm taking a shower and I'm talking to these people. The next thing I know, they're telling me their story. This man's wife died on their vacation. They had a $300,000 vehicle. They were wealthy people. But they were hurting and broken. I said, let me pray with you. There we were in the shower room. And I'm praying with this guy. And he says, I've got my son-in-law and my daughter. Would you come to our, our trailer would you pray with them? I said, absolutely. So I go back to my little trailer that we're staying with my brother. I don't even own this thing. You know, they own it. I said, I need to go to this trailer over here. Go, what? I said, yeah, I need to pray with somebody. He said, listen, you're on vacation. I said, no, I'm never on vacation. When there's people in need, I'm here for people. And so I took Patty and we went over to this trailer. Beautiful, mo- you know, motorhome. And they're crying. I go in and I talk to them and I pray with them. I've never seen them since. I have no idea what's going to happen in eternity. What am I saying to you? God will give you opportunities to minister to people. You just need to care. That's all it takes. How many say, I think I can care? I think I can care for people. How many say, you know, I think I can pray for people and I can pray right with them. You know, a lot of times we say, well, I'll pray for you later. What happens is you and I forget. Why don't you just say, hey, can I pray with you right now? Just take their hand. Do you know what that contact, that touch says, I care about you. And you know what it says even more? God cares about them. You have no idea where that's going to lead. We don't know where that's taking people. How many here say, you know, Pastor, I want to be a worker. I want to be a worker. I want God to use my life. I want God to take me on this adventure. I want God to open up my soul. I want to become a part of the solution to the city of Red Deer. I think if we could find 10 motivated, highly motivational Christians, you're going to have more impact than 10 police officers. I believe that. I believe you're going to have a greater impact in the city of Red Deer than 10 new police officers. And you and I cost a lot less. Isn't that true? Come on now. 
when you and I can bring love and grace into broken situations, we can actually start eradicating the crime. Wouldn't it be awesome if all of a sudden they go, we don't even know why the crime rate's going down in Red Deer. And you know what? We know. It's because the church finally became the church. And you know what real revival is? I think we have a really mythical idea. You know what it really is? It's the beginning of obedience. And we actually start to do what Jesus tells us to do. And I want to pray for us tonight right now that God will start stirring our hearts that you heard God's voice speak to you and say I'm sending you 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 with my love and my deep concern I'm sending you with a new perspective I want you to see people the way I do I want you to care for them the way I care for them and things will start happening in our city I guarantee you we'll have change in this city and so Lord I pray tonight that these words will not be forgotten, that we will embrace them, that we will show your amazing grace and love to people. Lord, that we will be your servants in our community. Lord, we will step out of our our box. And even if people insult us, we know what we're going to realize? We're just doing your will. And we're actually happy about it. Not everyone's going to accept us. We know that. Some will make fun of us, make light of us, ridicule us. But that doesn't matter. Because for everyone that does that, there'll be someone else saying, thank you so much for caring. Thank you so much for understanding. Thank you for praying. You have made a difference in my life and in my family's life. Lord, help us to realize it's not about us. It's not just about us. You want to touch us just like you did Simon Peter's mother-in-law to raise us up so that we in turn can begin to minister to others. Help us, Lord, to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you leave.